Hebrews chapter number 12 this morning. Hebrews chapter number 12. Look down at verse number 12. We'll read from there to the end of the chapter to get to the last verse. Just preach what the Lord's put on my heart. Could be a New Year's Day message, could not be, maybe. You, you just take it how, how the Lord puts it on your heart this morning. Look at verse number 12. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down on the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man, should, any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, that, and thereby may be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person, as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For we know uh, how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. For we are not come unto the mount that might be touched, that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet, and the voice of words, which voice they heard, entreated that the words should not be spoken to them any more. For they could not endure that which was commanded. If so, much as beasts touch the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with dirt. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. But we are coming to Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God, the, holy Jeru- the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn, which were written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and the spirits of just men made perfect. To, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of the sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. See that you refuse not him that speaketh, for if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, how much more, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word yet once more signifieth the removing of these things that are shaken, as the things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Verse number 29, for our God is a consuming fire. For our God is a consuming fire. Let's pray to Heavenly Father. Lord, we thank you again for this morning. Lord, thank you for the wonderful song service. God, from the first hymn, Lord, down to the last special, Lord, you just reminded us Lord, how much you love us. Lord, how great your grace is. Lord, thank you for touching our lives. We thank you, Lord, for being willing and God, being able, God, to, 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 to Lord, just come in and intervene in our lives, God, and do things that we cannot do for ourselves. And we thank you for uh, that this morning. Lord, we pray, God, that you'd help us. Lord, as we've read your word this morning, God, speak to, your heart, to our hearts through it and use it, God, to glorify yourself this morning. We ask you, Lord, this morning that you'd just help us one more time Lord, it's a new year, God. It's a, it's a new day on the calendar, Lord. The, 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 the dates have turned over. We're in a new month, but Lord, there's a lot of problems, God, that we've carried over. There's a lot of issues, God, that, that, that simply haven't gone away but simply because the calendar changed. Lord, I'm also grateful, Lord, just because the calendar changes doesn't mean you have either. Lord, I'm thankful today, Lord, you're the same God today, yesterday, and forever. God, if you were faithful to the, the children of Israel, God, you'll be faithful to us. We ask you, Lord, this morning that you just help us one more time. Lord, speak to our hearts. Lord, take your word and make it, Lord, what you desire it to be this morning. If there's anybody here that doesn't know you as a personal Lord and Savior, Lord, would you save them by your grace. Lord, change their life. Change their eternity. But we love you. We thank you. 
And we'll give you all the glory and all the praise. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. I want you to look at verse number 29. It's a, it's a very simple, very small sentence. It's all of uh, seven words this morning, but it's a very declarative statement. It says, for our God is a consuming fire. Notice that is a statement not just that clarifies, but it's also a statement of truth this morning. In essence, when we read Hebrews 12, 29, it does not say that God desires to be a consuming fire. He is a consuming fire. It does not say that God wants to be a consuming fire, but that rather he is a consuming fire. It does not say that God hopes to be a consuming fire. Verse 29 says, our God is a consuming fire. Let me ask you this morning, are you a consumable Christian? Are you a consumable Christian? Well, preacher, what do you mean by that? Well, Proverbs chapter number 30 gives us insight on the desire of a fire. Proverbs 30 verse number 15 and 16 says that there are three things that are never satisfied. Yea, fourth, things that, that, are, that say not it is enough. One's the grave, the other's a barren womb, and one is the earth that is not filled with water, and the last on that list is fire. The Bible says, and the fire that saith not, it is enough. In essence, a fire doesn't burn and come to a certain place and say, you know what, I'm done. I'm done burning, I'm done being a flame, I'm gonna put myself out, I don't wanna go any further. No, a fire will burn as long as there is fuel to it, oxygen, and all the stuff that is needed for it, it will burn as long as you let it to. But why? Because it is, it is a consuming thing, it is a consuming fire. It wants all. But me and you this morning, we often deal in enoughs. Close enough, that's enough. That's good enough. That's all right. Think about this maybe this morning, maybe last night, maybe the past few weeks, you've been thinking about some New Year's resolutions. And I know some preachers are diehard against them. They'll say it's better not to make a vow than to make one and break it. And I understand what the word of God says, but I, I, I'm not against them. As a matter of fact, I'm for them. I think it's a good thing for you to sit down and, and maybe as you're preparing, not just for the new year, but in your Christian life, what are some things that I would like to see God do in my life this year? What are some things, what are some prayers that I would like to see God answer in this upcoming year? What are some things that I would like to step out in faith and do for the glory of God? Here's the thing this morning. If you have no goals, if you have no desires, you might as well just realize you're gonna sit down and do nothing for the rest of your life. The Christian life is one that is, that is helped and aided by realistic goals, but you and I, when we set these goals, we often set them at levels of enough. We'll say things like this. I, in this new year, I would like to lose some weight. We hardly say, you know what? In this year, I'm gonna lose all my weight. We'll say things like this. I want to read enough books this year. But we won't say, I want to read all the books this year. Or we'll say things like this. I want, to, I want to save enough money this year. And the way things are looking in our economy, and our, listen, I'm not trying to bring doom and gloom. I'm not an economist by any means this morning. But we can look at it and say, boy, it's, we're probably going to have to start tightening up our belts this morning. And we'll say, well, this year I'm going to strive to save this amount of money. But we never say, I'm going to save all my money. I'm not going to spend none of it. <laughs> then you're going to be living without power, water, and groceries. Amen. 
But oftentimes we, 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 we settle for enough. This is enough weight. These are enough books. That is enough money. This is enough time. This is enough that. This is enough this. The Bible tells us that God is a consuming fire. And God deals in all. God doesn't want you to step back and say, well, I have given enough of myself to him. I've given enough that I feel comfortable giving to him. No, he's a consuming fire this morning. The Lord wants all of us. He don't want half of us. He don't want us today, but not tomorrow. He wants us 24-7 for the rest of our life. And if the Lord wants all of us, then we should give all of ourselves to him. But preacher, if I plunge myself into the consuming fire that is our God, won't it destroy me? Won't it leave me nothing but a pile of ash and nothing but a pile of uh, of this and that? Won't it destroy me? No, you've got to realize in the Christian life that when we allow ourselves to be thrust into the consuming fire that is God, it does not destroy us. It It does not mess us up, but rather it purifies us. It takes those things out of our life that didn't need to be there in the first place. Zechariah chapter number 13, and I know he's speaking to the nation of Israel here, but he says, I will bring the third part through the fire and refine them as silver is refined. You've got to realize this morning when you make the decision that I'm going to be an all-in Christian, I'm going to thrust myself right into the middle of the consuming fire of God, I'm going to give all of myself to him, you're not making a popular choice. You're not making a popular decision because, listen, when you step out and say, I'm going to give all of myself to him, somebody's going to find you and say, that's way too much. You're doing more than enough. You need to settle down. You done lost your mind. It's amazing. They never said that about when you was living, like, living in sin. They never said, hey, that's enough. Chill out. Calm down. They said, how much more can you do? How much farther can you go? In our Christian life, we ought to step back and say, if I'm not giving my all to God, I need to figure out why. But I want to be a consumable Christian. Zechariah says, I will bring the third part through the fire and refine them as silver is refined and will try them as gold is tried. They shall call on my name and I will hear them. I will say it is my people and they shall say the Lord is my God. Well, preacher, why is the fire so valuable? Why is the fire so wonderful in the Christian life? Because when you come out of the fire, what is left after the fire is far more valuable than what you had on the other side of the fire. Well, demonstrate that, preacher. Explain that to me. You realize, and I hope, I hope none of you go home to this today. I hope none of you, when you leave out of here, this is the news you call me with. But if your house were to burn down today and everybody in the sense got out safely and you were to go through afterwards and you've maybe found a picture of a loved one or you found your Bible or you found this or you found that, you would hold on to those things because they survived the fire. They came through the fire. You would hold them as a greater value to you. I remember we had built a little thing up on the the corner of the property that we're now living on and called it the haven. 
And I don't know what, how we came up with the idea of it. I don't know what, what we were thinking or, or that, or we were just excited. So we went out there, we cleared off a spot, and we grabbed two logs, and we tied them together. We planted a cross right in the middle of it, built a little pulpit right there, and we were going to have youth meetings, and we were going to have youth uh, teen nights, and we were going to go meet up there. We was going to preach, and we was going to have a wonderful time. <laughs> and then we found out that uh, something had happened. There was a fire up there in the woods and the fire department came through, plowed right through the middle of all that for a fire break. And there we walked up and there was, there was burnt everywhere. We looked up. Everything had burned except for the cross. It was still standing there. Now we've never had a youth meeting there. We've never had a teen night there. But I realized, listen, when you come through the fire, in the Christian life, when you allow the consuming fire of God to do the consuming fire, the consuming work that it does, when you allow yourself to be a consumable Christian in the fire of God, when it's all said and done on the other side, you'll find great value in your Christian life. Great value in what the Lord has done for you. Every Christian can be a consumable Christian by being all in in the following area. Listen, you're gonna have to get not just halfway in you can't stand out of the fire, outside the fire, and claim you're in the fire. You're going to have to give all of yourself. You're going to have to go all in this morning in three areas if you're going to be a consumable Christian. One, that allows the consuming fire of God to do its great work in your life. Number one, we have to be all in in the area of obedience. We have to be all in in the area of obedience. Verses 25 through 7 25 through 27 this morning, the Bible says, verse number 20, and this word, yet once more signifieth the removing of those things which are shaken as of things that are made that those things which can be shaken, uh, cannot be shaken may remain this morning. Can I say that there is nothing this morning that compares to the blessed King James Bible? There's nothing this morning that compares to the word of God this morning. It's inspired. It's God breathed. God himself breathed the words. He used men that loved him and the Holy Spirit moved them and God breathed his words down for men. It's inerrant. It's incapable of being. You'll never follow the Bible in its context, in its correct uh, definition, in its correct design. This one, you'll never follow this book and end up in the wrong place. Doing the wrong thing. It's infallible. It's without error or mistakes. It's eternal. It'll never fail. This whole world's going to burn and God said, my word will yet endure forever. <laughs> but here's the thing. It's a wonderful book. It's a blessed book. It's all of those things this morning. It's only effective in your life if it's applied and obeyed. There was a soap maker and a preacher that were walking down the road one day and the soap maker looked at the preacher talking to him and said, you know, preacher, all, this, all these years of the Bible being taught and the Bible being read and the Bible being preached, he said, preacher, with all that's taken on, all that's happening, and yet there's all this sin in the world, there's all this wrong in the world, there's all this filth in the world. He said, I don't think that book works. I don't think it's true. By the time he said that, a little girl been playing in the mud come running by. He said, he talked, the preacher looked at the soap maker and said, you think with all the soap in the world that there wouldn't be a single person left in this world with dirt on their body. The soap maker said, well, it's obvious. It only works when it's applied. The preacher said, you're exactly right. The word of God is wonderful. It's all those things this morning, but it's only good for me and you if we do what it says and we apply it to our life. 
You can hold the Bible. You can have a Bible. You can handle the Bible. But if you do not heed the Bible, it will not help you this morning. Look at verse number 25. He says, see that you refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, how much, or much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven? We must obey. Must be all in our obedience. We must obey the word of God and our desires. You flip back to verse number 16. We are introduced to a man by the name of Esau. So lest there be any fornicators or profane person as Esau who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. Now oftentimes when we tell the story of Jacob and Esau, we tell it one-sided. Right, we put all the blame on Jacob, that trickster, that supplanter, that, 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 that conniver, that thief, that stealer, that liar. But the reality is when you break it down, you find two men who are about the wrong thing. We're concerned about the, going about things the wrong way. See, Jacob was controlled by being covetous or being by covetous, by jealousy. He wanted what Esau was promised. He wanted what Esau had. He wanted the birthright. He wanted the blessing. And here's the thing. He went about the wrong way. He, he, what, he should not have done what he did this morning. But you've got to realize as much as Jacob was controlled by covetousness, Esau was controlled by carnality. What man? gives up his birthright for a small little bowl of lentil beans. <laughs> what man takes the very blessings of God that have been passed down from Abraham to Isaac and says, you know what, instead of that, give me something temporal. Give me something that will only satisfy me for a few moments. See, this morning, we, we look at Esau, we'll say, I'd never do anything like that. Oh, no, not me, preacher. I would never, I would never, ever, ever in a million years sell the blessings of God for a bowl of beans. Well, it might not be a bowl of beans, but if we don't check our desires with the word of God, we'll sell them for something far less than what it's worth this morning. See, the danger of allowing our fleshly desires to override our, what should be our biblical desires or desires given to us from the word of God and from God's very mouth himself this morning. If we don't, if we don't deal with our fleshly desire, we'll find ourselves not just in verse 16, we'll find ourselves in verse number 17. Now, some men will take this and they'll say that Esau wanted to be saved, but God didn't want to save him. I don't think that's what it's saying there. I don't think, I, I believe that God is no respecter of persons. He in no wise cast them out. Any that come to him in faith, he will receive this morning. But here's, here's what we can learn from Esau right here is that yes, Esau was sorry for what he did. Esau was sorry for what he sold out, but Esau was wanting God to change everything. And sometimes in our Christian life, when our fleshly desires override and we allow them to win our life, there are things that you and I can repent of and there's things that you and I can get right with God. We'll still go to heaven and we'll die, but we'll have to live the rest of our life with them. We'll have to deal with the consequences that come from those fleshly desires. Oh yes, you'll be forgiven. You'll be saved. Spend eternity in heaven. But you'll find yourselves in verse number 17. Who would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected and he found no place of repentance. Though he sought it carefully with tears. It's been many lives ruined off of one fleshly choice. One fleshly desire that wasn't dealt with scripturally this morning. We must obey the word of God and our desires. We can repent of it, but you'll still have to live with it. 
Not only must we obey God in our desires, we must obey God in our sanctification. Look at verse number 23. The general assembly in the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. Just men made perfect. Now, let me ask you this one. How many perfect people we got here? Trick question. <laughs> he raised your hand. Uh, you don't want to be a part of our church. <laughs> Why? Pre- Ain't none of us in here perfect this morning. <laughs> uh, I might as well get personal with you all this morning. Our beloved dog skid. Out of all times to get out of the fence, out of all times to say, you know what? I'm going to go exploring. He did it this morning. After I had my suit and tie on. After I was in the church parking lot. It was the third time this morning he's got out. Boy, I was, in my mind I was thinking, let him run off. <laughs> my mind I was saying, boy, I had it with this dog. I'm, I'm about tired of this dog. And about that time I get texts from Brother Sonny out of Nahum. And it says, slow to anger. I said, Lord, I'll be slow to anger if you let me be quick to execution. (laughs) But so many times in our life, our flesh rears up. And if we're not careful, either we will quench it through the spirit of God or we'll excuse it and let it run rampant in our life. That very thing, I mean, in the moment, yes, I was hot, I was aggravated, I was, I was just frustrated, and I, I got it fixed, and to be honest with you, I haven't got a phone call yet, so I don't think he's got out yet. But then again, nobody may be home, and so he might have got out. But notice here this morning, I, I did all that, I, I, I changed back into my suit and got ready for church, and I, stopped, I read that text message, and I, I just began to chuckle. I said, thank you, Lord. If this is the biggest problem I face today, boy, I sure got it easy. I sure got it easy. We must obey God's word in our sanctification, getting back to what it means to be perfect. It means to be mature, complete. Now, this morning, we understand that age is nothing but a number, right? Just because somebody turns 18 doesn't mean they're instantly the mature adult they need to be. Just because somebody turns 21 23, 24, 35, 40, doesn't mean they're automatically at that maturity point when, they, when their birthday comes around. Can I say the same is true in the Christian life as well? Just because somebody's been saved for years and years and years does not mean they've matured in their Christian life. Ask them, talk to them, sit down with them, and ask them what their relationship is with the Word of God. And if there is no daily personal relationship. There's no concerted effort to have a a time in the word of God and and with God's word this morning. I'd I'd venture out to say that maturity level may not be there. It may not be there. You cannot mature as a Christian with a life separated from the word of God this morning. You must obey the word of God in our sanctification. We must obey God in our desires. Why Why is obedience so, so, so necessary in the Christian life why must we obey God's word? Because it's the one thing that will strengthen us. 
Verse number 27 says that when we obey in this word, yet once more signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. When you and I begin to, to not just read our Bibles, we begin to dwell on the truth of it and apply it in our life, it'll remove those destabilizers out of our life and allow us to find stabilization on the truth of God's word this morning. Obeyed scripture leads to strength. Let me ask you this morning, are you willing to go all in concerning your obedience to the scriptures. I want to be an all-in Christian. I want to be a consumable Christian this morning. Notice number two, we must be all-in in our service. Be all-in in our service. Verse number 28, wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Now some will say, well, there's only a few people that actually get to serve God. It's preachers, teachers, and singers. I say hog wash. <laughs> I say that is inaccurate. I say that's not correct. I believe every Christian, though they've been saved for a day or for 40 years, every Christian is to serve the Lord. They're to live for God. They are to serve their master. Preaching is, here's the thing, more preaching is only part of my service. These young men who get up here tonight, if this is what you think all you have to do is to serve God, you're going to miserably preacher because listen if, if this is the only place I serve God I'm only serving him three times a week for about an hour I'd serve God not just here I'd have served God at my, in my house I'd have served the Lord when I'm in, in the community I'd have served anywhere and everywhere I am I ought to be serving the Lord and the same is true for you this morning but notice what he says here whereby we may serve God acceptably well, what does acceptable service look like? What is the kind of service that God says, good, gives you the thumbs up on? It is acceptable. Romans 12, 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. <laughs> Remember, he's a consuming fire. God said, you know what's acceptable? Everything. All of you is what is acceptable. So we know understand this morning, if we have to have all in service, why? It's the only acceptable service when it comes to serving God. Would your service to God, let me ask you this morning, right now, January 1st, 2023, would you say my service is acceptable? My service is acceptable. Am I living Romans 12? Am I a living sacrifice? Am I a living sacrifice wholly given to God this morning? Well, preacher, How? How does one become an all-in servant of Christ? How do I go from mediocre? How do I go from halfway in, halfway out? How do I go from the fence hanging on one side on the other? How do I go from, all, from, from barely in to halfway in? How, how do I get all in? One, by remembering it's achieved by grace. It's achieved by grace. Look at verse number 28. Wherefore, we're receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. Let us have grace. Well, preacher, didn't they already have grace? I mean, the writer of Hebrews is speaking to, to Hebrew believers who have trusted Christ. And, and Hebrews is a wonderful book where we see the typology of the Old Testament being confirmed by the, 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 the work of Christ on, on Calvary and its strength and all that wonderful stuff. Preacher, they already had grace when they got saved. Well, so did you this morning. But if you and I are going to be all in Christians, and we, yes, we enjoy grace and salvation, but we must never get away from it. We must never stray away from it. It must be an everyday part of our life. 
Our salvation is by grace and so is our service this morning. One of the, one of the most miserable Christian lives you'll ever try to live is when you try to live the Christian life in your own power, in your own strength, in your own ability, in your own know-how because you don't have enough to do that. You don't have enough to get anywhere close to that. It must be by grace. See, service based on talent, if you, if you serve, I preach, here's what I'm good at. And so this is where I'm going to serve. That'll be the only places you serve. Whereas when you allow the grace of God to guide you and direct you, God will allow you to serve in places that you would have never served in, that you would have never thought of, that you would have never gone close to, that you would have never said, there's no way I can do that because when you serve in your talents, you can do it. When you serve by grace, God has to do it for you. Service based on talent, only serve in things you're good at. Service based on grace, you'll serve God wherever you are. Why? His grace is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. Preacher, how do I go all in on my service? It's achieved by grace. But notice this, by knowing that it's aided by reverence and godly fear. Grace makes us able. Reverence and godly fear keeps us accountable. It keeps our mind and our thoughts and our heart where it's supposed to be. Not only can I serve God because of grace, but I should serve God because of who he is and what he's done for me. Why? But what's one of the things that ought to drive me and you as a Christian? We get up in the morning saying, what's one good reason, preacher, every day that I ought to get up and serve God, the judgment seat of Christ? One day you'll stand and give an account for what you did with that great salvation that was given to you by God. And listen, we, we live in a day and age where we're polite and we're kind one to another and, and, and we, we don't want to hurt nobody's feelings and so we, we, we fill out those things generically and we fill out those forms, like, you know, just trying to get them done, try, try not to cause any problems and, and so we won't always be completely upfront, completely honest with somebody because we don't hurt their feelings. When we stand before Christ, they're going to be, well, you know, you did all right. He's going to say, what about this? What about that? What about this? It's aided by reverence and godly fear that we must remember not only, yes, grace enables us to serve him, but we ought to serve him because of who he is. He's the very God of heaven. He's the highest of the high. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. There's nobody above him. There's nobody greater than him. And I'm going to have to give an answer to him one day. I'll let that drive me and motivate me to serve him all in. Well, I don't want to get to heaven and say, and the Lord say, well, you did really good. What about that part? What about, what about that part? You said you was all in. But it looked like when your hands was hanging out. Your heart wasn't completely in it. It's achieved by grace. It's aided by reverence and godly fear. But how do I go all in? By accounting for our reward. Verse number 28, we receiving a kingdom. It concerns me how quick we are to overlook our eternal reward for a mere temporal one. And I'm not preaching that. I'm preaching to myself. This one, how quick... How quick we turn over an eternal reward for a temporal one. Let me ask you this morning, what truth did you glean from God's word this week? If I had to stop and say, all right, stand up and tell me what you read in God's word and how that applies to your life this week. How many would say, I hope you don't call on me. I hope I don't get called on. But we're so quick to, 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 to know that and, or to not know that and, and, but at the same time I would say well how many hours did you work this week 
Well, preacher, if I didn't work so many hours, I could get in my Bible. See how quickly we turn over an eternal reward for a temporal one. Let me ask you, how many people did he witness to this week? Well, preacher, you know, let me ask you, what was the, what was the score of the game last night? 42 to 41. How quick we, 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 we turn these things over this morning. Let me ask you, are you an all-in servant of the Lord? If we're going to be consumable, we're going to have to be all-in in our obedience, all-in in our service this morning. Then notice number three this morning, we have to be all-in in our encouragement. All-in in our encouragement. Verse 12 through 14, we'll cover that and then we'll be done this morning. <laughs> You've ever flown on an airplane? They go through that little beginning sequence. You sit down in your seat, you buckle up, and that flight attendant comes in. They begin to do that, 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 that show where they, they show you where everything is, what to happen, what, 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 what to do in case of emergency. The mask is going to drop down. Here's what they always say. Make sure you put whose mask on first? Yours. Oh, that's, that's, that's selfish. That's, un, that's unkind. You don't care about the, the poor little grandma who's sitting next to you. Why would they tell somebody that? Because if you're going to help anybody else out, you've got to make sure you got what you need first. You've got to make sure that that, that, that that need is taken care of. And we heard the phrase, joy, what is joy? It's Jesus, others, yourself. But the reality is if your heart's not right, if you're not where it's supposed to be, if your heart, if this relationship isn't right between you and God this morning, none of these are going to do right. None of these are going to play out the way they're supposed to play out. A disobedient, non-serving Christian won't be an encourager. They'll be selfish and self-absorbed. So we've got to get the first two points right this morning if we want to be all in on the third point. But you can be. I'm not preaching a, a message that is impossible. You can obey God's word. You can be serious about your service. And when you get to that place, you'll be all in on your encouragement. How do you know that, preacher? What, what, is it what the, Lord it's what the Lord tells us in Hebrews 10, 24, just a couple chapters over? And let us consider one another and provoke them unto love and to good works. But your heart's going to be right. You're going to have to be the all-in Christian before you can get to verse number 24, Hebrews chapter number 10. But we see here in verses 12 through 14, what does this encouragement look like? Where is this encouragement found? We should encourage the weak. Look at verse number 12. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down in the feeble knees. Lift up the hands, those who are struggling in their service. You work with your hands. They're overloaded and they're overwhelmed. You encourage them by helping them. <laughs> I remember I was, it was right before I left the cabinet shop. We were down at uh, some building down. We were carrying a 12-foot countertop up a spiral staircase that was like six foot wide. It was impossible to think about it. But the way you do that is you get on the front end of it and somebody lifts it way up high and you work your way around the stairs. Well, <laughs> somehow I got to be the guy on the front of the countertop. And so we made it in that first flight of stairs. We began to turn up that thing. I made the first flight, no problem. I got my suit on and I can, I, I, or this morning I can barely lift my arms up. But I remember getting to that second flight and I went to go push that countertop up and it didn't go nowhere. I just, now I started shaking. And everybody down on the other end was talking. I was like, help, <laughs> help. My hands had become feeble. I don't remember who ran up. Somebody finally ran up and helped me pick it up. We finally got it to the top. But everybody got to laugh. I got to laugh. I was, I was just a shaking. There wasn't nothing I could do besides shake a countertop. But sometimes in our Christian life, we'll, we'll come across people who, in their Christian life, that's them. 
they've overloaded their plate. They're, they're overwhelmed with things. They don't need you to tell you how to do it. They, they don't need you to come in and, and tell them when they say where they went wrong, but they just need you to come in and help them carry it. Help them carry it, get it to where it needs to be, then you can sit down and reevaluate what's going on. He said, lift up the hands and the feeble knees, those who are struggling in their walk. See, sometimes as a father and sometimes even as a pastor, I've got to remind myself, it's not my job to carry everybody. It's not my job to live the Christian life for you. I can't. Nor can you live it for me. But as a Christian, as one who's all in on my encouragement, if I see someone who's struggling, if I see somebody who is, who is, whose knees have become feeble, so to speak, they're, they're struggling with their steps with the Lord, it may not be that I need to come in there and pick them up and carry them. I need, may just need to get up underneath them and help them walk a little bit. <laughs> Watching that football game last night, if the kicker got injured, yeah, they'll just go out there and pick him up. He ain't but 85 pounds soaking wet. But if that middle lineman falls over, listen, you ain't gonna pick him up. At least not by yourself. You'll watch them. They'll, they'll get him up to a place and they'll get up underneath them and help them walk back to the sidelines. And sometimes in our Christian life, we, we think, all right, I'm gonna help them and I'm gonna carry them and I'm gonna do everything for them. Really, you haven't helped anybody. You've just caused a great, more, great, great deal more problems we should walk by uh, the, a path that helps, uh, excuse me, wrong, wrong point. Those who are struggling in their walk, the goal isn't to carry them everywhere and do everything for them. It is to help them to get to Jesus because he can help them. <laughs> Those four fellows in the Bible that pulled the roof off, they carried the man to Jesus. And once he got to Jesus, he found what he needed. <laughs> could you imagine? Hey, no, get back on there. We got to carry you back. We got to do this for you. No, I, I, I found what I needed. I can walk back by myself. We should encourage, not the weak, but also we should learn to encourage ourselves. Verse number 13. And make straight paths for your feet. Lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. We should walk a path that helps others when they follow after us, not uh, that helps them and doesn't hinder them. It's going to take us encouraging ourselves to do right. To do that which we know the word of God tells us to do. The Bible says that David encouraged himself in the Lord. How do I do that, preacher? How do I encourage myself? Well, be honest about your motives. Why do I do what I do? Is, is it because I want publicity? Is it because I want people to see me? Or am I simply doing it because it's what the Lord tells me and wants me to do? Also be honest about your mistakes. Honest about your mistakes. I have great respect for somebody who say, yeah, I messed up. It's my fault. I did it. Opposed to, well, if they had of, or if they would have, and then... Here, I told the kids this morning in Sunday school, you can't control nobody else, but you can control what you do. You have to be honest about your mistakes, honest about your motives. You have to encourage yourself. In verse number 14, we should encourage the lost. Look at verse number 14. All in in our encouragement. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. What about, what's that peace? Man, it's a different countenance. Different countenance in the Old Testament. Nehemiah got word that the cities, the walls of Jerusalem had burned down and his countenance changed. That peace that was present in his life that was noticeable about him, the king looks at him and says, hey, what's wrong with you? Your peace is missing. Can I say this morning, you and, I, you and I go out into this world, whether it's our job, our family, our friends, whatever it is this morning, we go out there, 
and we have God's peace in our lives and on our faces and in our countenance, they take notice. They see that there's something that we have that don't have. We ought to have a different countenance. <laughs> yes, we can sit back and panic about what's fixing to take place in America. We can sit back about what 2023 holds and, 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 and all the economic stress and all that. Kind. We can sit back and panic about it or we can say, you know what? The Lord's going to take care of me. I'm going to be wise. I'm going to be a good steward. I, I'm going to strive to do that which is right. But in the end, God's going to take care of me. Have a different countenance. Have a different conduct. Holiness. Oh, we like the peace. But notice what he said right there in verse number 14. Follow peace with all men and holiness. Holiness, a different conduct. <laughs> Don't you want to see the Lord in you? You're going to have to act like the Lord then. <laughs> You're going to have to be honest, truthful, above board. You're going to be all the things the Lord is. You're going to see the Lord in you. Preach peace, but also holiness. And the Bible says right here in verse 14, those two things combined, peace and holiness, will allow them to see the Lord. To see the Lord in your life and working in your life. Are you going to be an all-in? Are you going to be a Christian who's all-in when it comes to encouragement? Our God is a consuming fire. He wants all of us. I gave you three areas this morning where we can all, we can all be all-in this morning in our obedience, in our encouragement, in our service this morning. Let me ask you one more time. We'll stand. Are you going to be an all-in Christian? Are you going to be a consumable Christian who puts himself in the consuming fire of God this morning? Let's all stand this morning. Every